Hello and welcome to this episode of SB to MD. As many students know, the pre-med track is a long one and maintaining a positive focus can be a challenge. Burnout is common among medical students and it's important to develop coping strategies as we explore in this episode with our guest, Marwa Wilson. It's an important and interesting conversation, so let's jump in. Marwa, do you want to start by introducing yourself? Yeah, so my name is Marwa Wilson, and I am a recent graduate of Stony Brook University undergrad. I was a biology major and a theater minor. I have three children, and I work as a surgical dental assistant, a home health aide, a bio tool for lab instructor, and hopefully uh, another instructor next semester as well. But yeah, I am on the pre-med track for a while now. My hopes are to be a uh, ER physician or a trauma surgeon in the long term. So um, yeah, I'm really excited. As you guys know, we're going to be talking about like school life balance and kind of how to prevent burnout today, because I know that's super common in med school. It's a really long uh, journey. What was the most helpful for the both of you in balancing out the work for med school? So personally, I think that what helped me balance things out, there was a couple different things. I mean, I'm a non-traditional student, so my situation is a bit different than a lot of people. But the best way for me was balancing out my course load. So I looked for things that I enjoyed. Hence, I became a theater minor. And I didn't even know I was going in that direction, honestly. I didn't even think about that. I was like, no, you know, I have to take all these upper division and science courses and all these heavy content courses. And I didn't really think about, well, I needed to create a balance. I need to balance the heavy with the light, the stuff that was demanding with things that maybe weren't as demanding. And I ended up loving what I was doing on the side to balance things out. And that really helped keep me motivated and push me more for those more heavier demanding and heavy content courses. I found myself being able to kind of de-stress with those courses, which again, kind of just helped me be more prepared and just more resilient when it came to pushing harder for those heavier demanding courses. And as far as balancing just in general outside of school is making sure that I do things that interest me and that I know are beneficial for me. So that's kind of like a checklist that I have. If this is not going to be as impactful for me, then it needs to go off to the side. And if this is more impactful for me, even if that's just for my mental health, then by all means, that was at the top of that priority list. So I think being able to have a list and assessing that in a priority fashion is what really kind of helps you go down like what's most important at this moment and what's not. And that kind of helps you juggle between time management and getting all the tasks that you need done accomplished effectively. So it's more of quality than it is quantity. I know a lot of people are like, oh, you have to have, you know, 100 hours of shadowing and volunteering. And one thing that I've learned, especially being part of USEP, is that it's definitely quality over quantity. If you can do, you know, 20 hours where you are getting memorable experiences that are going to really be most impactful for you and help you becoming that better future physician, then those are the things that you need to focus on. And if not, then those are the things that you need to be okay to say no to. It's okay that your friend has 100 hours, but you have 20 hours and you can vouch for those 20 hours to say, I've learned X, Y, Z, where somebody else might be like, yeah, I've taken 100 hours, you know, I was just doing them just to be there. I can't remember a situation specifically or a certain patient interaction. And I think that holds a lot of weight as to how well-rounded you'll be later on. 
uh, just kind of to add on top of what Marwa said, I think creating a schedule and prioritizing. Personally, I do a monthly, weekly, and then a daily schedule. So that kind of keeps me on track, keeps me motivated to kind of check things off on a daily basis. And also with med school, like we have blocks, like a neuro block, and then we have a couple of less stressful days so I would just like book a flight to Orlando and just go there kind of take those like little mini vacations because those really do regenerate and refuel you so that you can be really strong on your next kind of suit so I know you guys are coming up for break just make sure that you're taking a few days and then reassessing things and, and making sure you can get back into the semester super strong that's awesome I never thought about having like weekly monthly checklist that's really smart though So having a support system in place can make med school feel a little less daunting. Who is in your support system and how do they help in your medical school efforts? I can start since I'm like in med school and we're in the deep thick of it. I have a lot of people in my family, friends. Obviously, I have physicians who are kind of there as my mentors. We also have a learning specialist at Stony Brook. And they're amazing, the two of them. I love them dearly. And they basically really do keep you on track and really help you. I would say one of my biggest supporters would be Dr. Cohen. He's kind of always in my little corner. So I think just getting those people that are really going to be by your side through thick and thin is just what you need. The more you have, the better you're off, to be quite honest. And so I really do, you know, think that everyone at Stony Brook should network and have people that you can reach out to and connect. Because in the end, once you're in med school, kind of everybody's your colleague. So you really want to form very valuable, long-lasting relationships that you can really call on someone if you ever need help. I definitely agree with Alex. I think that the more people that you have in your corner, definitely the better. I have a few family members that have definitely been very, um, you know, helpful and keeping me motivated. And when I came across uh, Alexandra and Yusef, she was like my driving force. I was kind of in a place where I was like, okay, well, you know, this is it for me. I'm kind of like hitting rock bottom. And I think joining such a supportive group like Yusef and having friends and and mentors like Alexandra and Frankie and everybody else that's a part of USEP. It's just so family oriented. You feel like you're not in this alone. And you know that if and when you need to reach out to somebody for help or for guidance or just a shoulder to cry on, that they're there regardless. And it means the world to know that you have that because you don't feel alone. And I think feeling alone is kind of like the biggest culprit that kind of makes you feel like, okay, there's no one else in this with me. No one understands what I'm going through. Finding those people and having them around you is really what keeps you going more and more. They're kind of that voice in your ear that's always telling you, like, you can do it. You just just push yourself a little bit more. I've come across amazing opportunities with the people that have been so supportive of me, such as Yousef and family and friends, and even professors that I've met along the way. Just from my first year back in school in general, and professors not even science-related, like my theater professors, for example, they've had such an impact on me, and sometimes you need that reminder, and that support group is always going to be there regardless. Again, that regardless is the key word because you you meet people along the way and sometimes they just kind of fall off the face of the earth, if, if you will, when things get tough. So it's really having that support group that despite everything, 
they're there for you. They're there to, you know, to, to lend a hand or an ear to listen, or like I said, that shoulder to cry on. Yeah, I think it's super important to have a support system that is consistent. That's a really good point. So both a balance of physical and mental health is important. What measures do you personally take to protect both aspects of your health? So personally, again, setting that you time aside, some people might look at it like, oh, spending time with family and friends. That's great. But again, you should still have that you time. Some people might think, well, I don't have time to fully focus on me. Like I'd rather spend that time doing, you know, X, Y, Z or studying or this or that. But what people kind of fail to realize is that they go hand in hand. Your mental health and your overall academic or work performance are directly proportional to one another. The more that you work on your mental well-being, the better you are at being able to accomplish your goals and to reach them, again, effectively, efficiently. I think that it's like a yin and yang. You can't have one without the other. So just as much as you dedicate time to your academic or work life, you need to dedicate that same amount of time to your mental being, um, your physical well-being as well. So I think um, how I take care of myself, it's basically like Marwa said, just giving some me time and like shutting down my phone and being like, okay, I'm going to spend this 30 minutes not talking to anybody, just being in my own kind of self. And also as far as, you know, my physical health, I do Pelotons every day. So I love Pelotons. So I really do recommend a Peloton run. Uh, It's amazing. I have my 20 minute favorite workout every morning. Just find something that you love and puts a smile on your face and gets you going. And I mean, yeah, my Peloton instructor, she like yells really. But sometimes it's actually entertaining, to be quite honest. So I don't mind that in the mornings. Going back to the medical school application and your 15 activities, write one activity that's not medical related, something like a hobby or something like rock climbing, because it really shows that you're a human being and you have interests outside of medicine and that you're well-rounded. I also just wanted to piggyback off of what Alice was saying as well. Um, I think it's also really important to make sure that you set the, like the short-term and long-term goals, but with realistic expectations. And it has to be catered to you specifically. Don't look at the overall general of what everybody is doing. Your situation may be very different. I personally am a non-traditional student, again, like I mentioned, you know, and I thought that I could study for the MCAT in three months while in school, while working three jobs and taking care of a family. Again, for my situation, that is not realistic. So if you have reminders and deadlines that are set up where you know you're not overbooking yourself with more obligations that you can handle, you become content with yourself knowing that it's okay. It doesn't matter however long it takes me to get there, as long as I get there. And when I do, I'm going to do some amazing things. That's a really good motto. I've never heard that from anyone before. So what are preventative measures for burnout? How do you guys try to stop it before it starts? So I think the first step is to realize that you're on the path to burnout. That's what you need to notice that, oh my gosh, I'm going to burn out in the immediate future. And what I do, I basically kind of take myself out of all the situations and reassess myself. I leave Stony Brook in specifically and remove myself out of that situation and I guess ponder upon it and then go back with a a clean slate and be like, okay, well, this is what I need to do. And maybe there's undone thing that needs to be, you know, done to alleviate the stressful situation to prevent me from, you know, going to that burnout state. So definitely reassessing, taking a step back 
and then going forward with kind of like an open mind and kind of like, a, I would say, a new slate. Yes. I also find it really helpful to have a list of your why hung up somewhere obvious in your house, whether it's on the fridge, in your bedroom wall, jot down just on a wrap piece of paper, you know, the whys of why you were in this in the first place. What initially motivated you to go running in this direction with guns blazing? I think when you do that, when you're at your best mental state before you get into that burnout is going to be your reminder because you're not going to really think of those whys when you're in that burnout moment. So every time you do feel overwhelmed and like you've hit rock bottom, think of those long-term goals, not the short-term goals, and then the great things you're going to be able to achieve at that point. And then look at it as if, okay, well, this is the road that I have to take to get to that point. So I just need to keep striving. And kind of like what Alex said, also, yeah, definitely be okay with knowing that you're going to expect to get burnt out. It's not really like a prevention as more as it is learning how to manage it. It's okay to be unmotivated because a lot of people don't realize that motivation doesn't come initially. It actually comes after you've already pushed yourself to start that task. So people usually don't wait to start something until they get that motivation. And it's really, you've got to push yourself first and then the motivation will kind of come. So you just hang in there effortlessly on this nonstop train. It takes you crazy amount of time before you can even say, okay, I, I can start. You're thinking about, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that. But then when you just start, you find yourself, the pen hits the paper and you're just going and going and going and the words are just spilling out. And then later you sit back and look at it and you're like, wow, I did this. You become more appreciative of your work and efforts. Again, having that list of whys, being realistic and being okay, it's okay to be unmotivated. Again, it comes back to setting that realistic expectation. So that way you're not let down when you do feel like you hit rock bottom. You know what's expected to come after that. Yeah, and I think just to add, I think like Dr. Chua said last time, I think it's also okay to, you know, go seek counseling and stuff like that. I don't think there's ever shame in asking for help. So that's something that we can, that can be brought to the conversation. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that I love the why list. I think that's super cool. I think that is really applicable across like any area of study. What are some warning signs, in your opinion, of the beginning stages of burnout? I know that you guys touched on this a little bit, that pre-med and med students should be aware of. So I think, for me at least, I will say my... So I think, for me at least, I will say my ways I know I'm, I'm going to that breaking point. I get very frustrated, very cranky. Things are falling apart if that makes sense. And so I'm like, okay, something's wrong. I need to slow down for a sec and like reassess myself, like what's putting me in this state of disarray. And once I figured that out, that's when I can continue. And I can say one thing, being burnt out and still taking care of patients is not a fun experience. So if you can prevent that, is basically kind of taking care of yourself, making sure you have enough sleep. Every day, I actually end with something like, because I love writing stuff down and checking boxes off. Like, what did I accomplish today? What am I grateful for today? And what am I looking forward to tomorrow? And I kind of set myself up for the next day. But it takes a long time. So if you're like, if you're burning out, and you're like, Oh, my God, I haven't figured it out. It's okay, you'll figure it out. It took me two years to figure my strategy out. So you'll be okay, I promise. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I'm in agreement with Alex 100%. It's that frustration that builds up where you're just not content with anything you're doing. You know, you find a way to criticize yourself in every way possible. You don't give yourself that pat on the back for those little things that you've accomplished. Dr. Cohen said something to us one time, and I will always refer back to that, is that if you could just take one thing, one thing that you learn from a lesson, then you've accomplished something great. I really took that to heart because I tend to be an overachiever, wanting to just be able to get my hands on every opportunity possible and make sure that I could be the best that I could be. And I think listening to his advice, I it really stuck with me because now I, I look at things differently. I'm like, it's okay if I can't get everything done, you know, and it's okay to be frustrated. And this is where I need to kind of sit back, take a moment for myself and kind of like what Alex was saying to kind of assess why am, why am I feeling like this? and nitpick at those whys and figure out how to eliminate that, whether it's eliminating a toxic person in your life or something that you're doing that's taking time that shouldn't be or devoting time to someone maybe that doesn't deserve it as much or things like that. Prioritize yourself and those around you. That just helps build that community and that sense of support, which then goes back to you not feeling as burnt out or you feeling like, okay, I'm burnt out, but I have a support group that I know that I can rely on to kind of help me cope through this and get through it and understand things from a different outside perspective. So sometimes when you're in that moment, it's hard to be able to nitpick at why you're feeling like that. But people who know you best are able to say, hey, no, this is probably what's going on and bring some insight that you wouldn't have initially thought. And I also think that that's kind of just helped my perception of what is challenging because I start to look at obstacles more like lessons learned. Ultimately, when you become a physician, you're going to be under pressure and you're going to have a lot of obstacles and challenges to deal with. So this is kind of like the stepping stone and preparing you to see how you can effectively overcome those challenges. And ultimately, I know it sounds crazy, but it could be your biggest motivator. Uh, Dr. Ali Brashears, a previous professor of mine, one time we were sitting together having tea and I was complaining about me feeling so overwhelmed and, you know, how come I can't get this like the rest of the students and why am I not doing things as fast as everybody else? And, you know, she kind of shed a light on anxiety and told me anxiety necessarily isn't a bad thing. You have to look at the reason why our bodies deal with anxiety is because your body is put in a situation or a circumstance that's something new, something that it's not used to, something that is uncomfortable. So when you are learning, for example, you're picking up material that becomes more difficult and more difficult to understand, but you push yourself in a way where you are able to retain and effectively understand that. So that anxiety part of you is really that part that's telling you, hey, you're doing something that's out of the norm for you, that's different, which is a good thing, because if not, we would just be sitting at home being okay with, yeah, you know, I, I would love to be a doctor, but you know, I don't think I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to see whatever I can do in my community. It's that anxiety that pushes you to say, oh, I'm doing something that's out of my norm. And that's okay, because I've got a bigger goal that I'm going to achieve. So it's not necessarily your enemy. It actually can be more of your friend. It's that reminder that, oh, I am challenging myself. So I know that I'm on that path to becoming that better leader. I really love that. I love seeing burnout as a challenge rather than like a stopping point. I think that's really great. Can you recall a time where you personally were facing burnout and how did you deal with it? I think it was 
my first semester at Stony Brook Medical School. Um, it was anatomy lab, and it was just getting so difficult. But I had the most supportive group that I worked in that really they pushed me with them to finish lab in person because we thought I was going to like die in the ICU at one point because of my allergic reaction to the formaldehyde. But I think it was them and I think it was a lot of other people who were like, no, you're here in med school, like you have to go through anatomy is just one hurdle but look at where you are getting into med school is a very challenging feat to begin with there's a reason you're here just take one day at a time and everything will be okay in the end and it was I think the challenge is you think the world is falling you know some people pre-meds you know they get a bad grade and they're like oh my god I'm never going to get into med school or this and that's not true so just take it one day at a time and just have people like I would say your court, your royal court in a way, right? So you want your royal court that's going to really support you. And I think supportive people is really what got me through anatomy in general. So so definitely people. Yeah, speaking of grades, <laughs> um, when I was doing my first two years at LaGuardia Community College, I, I was so focused on having a 4.0 GPA. At that time, I didn't have any guidance from like, a med student or anything like that. They really didn't have anything like for pre-health advising at that school. So I kind of didn't have anybody to turn and talk to or at least give me advice from that aspect. So I was just looking online and I'm like, oh, great, 4.0, I've got to have that. And I got into calculus with a professor that was a little less attentive, I should say. And I developed this anxiety where it was so bad. I was staying up all hours of the night studying just for his class. And I felt like I was a failure. I was getting a C, but I felt like a failure. It was the first grade I got that was not an A. And I'm thinking the world, like, just like Alex said, the world is going to crumble. I will never get into medical school. I'm never going to be a doctor, but that's not the case. Again, I think that's where I really like developed my ultimate anxiety. I was waking up in the middle of the night, having anxiety attacks, panic attacks, crying. I didn't know why I was crying. It was just so frustrating. And I think that's where I really hit rock bottom. And I, that was definitely my first burnout. I couldn't understand it. And it was almost in a way that I didn't want to accept it because of the type of lifestyle that I had before school. I've been taking care of my family in general, or even taking care of my mother and my siblings uh, when I was younger. Uh, I've always been in the work field since I was 11. So I tend to build like a strong work ethic and a resiliency, being able to cope under pressure and still being able to complete my job or what I needed to do and really go above and beyond. So this was a breaking point for me because I found myself not being able to do that. I'm so resilient. Why is something like this taking such a toll on me? That key word, that resilience is you have to kind of accept that burnout and that you're feeling like that you can learn how to become resilient. That ability to recover from the challenges and obstacles that you are, are gonna be faced with, whether it's school, work, family, just regular life, et cetera, you use that challenge as a learning opportunity and look at it as what skills and techniques am I gonna be able to develop or take with me from this specific situation that will allow me to become that better problem solver. And ultimately, that burnout really does help you improve 
communication, whether it's learning how to deal with criticism, you know, again, from professors or people that you work with in general, or having an open mind to responding to conflicting situations. It boosts your self-esteem knowing that, wow, like this was my worst point in time, but I was able to get through this again with, with the support of family and friends and professors and just that support group that kind of tells you like, hey, we're here with you. We're in this with you. So you learn to become more satisfied with the little accomplishments that you make along the way, despite what pressure might be associated with a certain situation. That's awesome. Those are really good examples. Um, Thank you so much. Before we go, do you guys have anything else that you think is important to include in the episode? Anything you want to touch on? I think the most important thing that we all have to understand is that we're not perfect. We're human beings and it's okay if we make mistakes and it's okay. You know, I have a physician who has no problem telling me, listen, I don't know what's wrong, but I'm going to figure it out. And that's what we have to do in life. Sometimes it's like, I don't know, but I'll figure it out. If you make a mistake in life, own up to your mistake, apologize to the people that need to be apologized to and move on with your life. So it's not a big deal. Like we're not perfect and we don't expect anyone to be perfect. If you think you're perfect and it's a little distorted vision of yourself, be a human being to yourself and be a human being to other people. That's all I will say for the ending note. A huge thanks once again to Marwa and Alex for joining us to talk about combating burnout. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of SB to MD and we hope you tune in next time.